So I took that class and, and they go through it and they say, okay, there's a few ways for you to decide. Because the first question is, what are you going to work on? What is it? What is, you have a full semester. We're going to develop a business plan. You need to choose the first, first few classes was selecting your, your course, your brand or your, 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 the, the topic. And, and they said, well, your parents did it. Maybe you should do it because you're going to inherit all this knowledge. And so they have all these different ways to figure out what you want to do. But the last one was, if you look at the marketplace and you can identify something that is not being provided or that is not, or is that a, a substandard product, then that might be something you do. And I was like, dude, that's Salsa Limon. Yep. And I named it Salsa Limon. And the concept was, I just want to bring in classic Mexican tacos for the world to experience what I experienced when I was a kid. Yep. Just like that. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thank you so much for joining me on The Fort today. I'm excited to have Milo Ramirez on with me today. Milo and I have known each other 14 years, and he's the founder of Salsa Limon, which is a quickly growing restaurant focused on authentic Mexican food. Today, we dive into his career and how he got the inspiration to start Salsa Limon. We talk a lot about what makes a great restaurateur great and what separates them from the pack. We talk about the things and the mistakes that he made early on and the way that he runs his business today. You'll hear more about 449 if you're interested. We talk about just the industry during COVID. Restaurateurs have been hit hard and how he and his peers have survived and how they've created success in a, in a tragic time. And we talk about what the restaurant industry looks like going forward with things like food delivery and other types of technology being built. So thank you again for joining me. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Milo, welcome to the show, amigo. Mr. Chris Powers, thank you for having me. Let's start off with a dive into uh, your story growing up and what led you to your current business, Salsa Limon. Well, I mean, thank you. And, and thank you for having me do this. This is, um, this is pretty exciting. Well, I mean, I, I guess the best way to do it is to start with a little bit of chronology. You know, yeah. I was, I was, uh, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a peculiar upbringing yeah, as, you are. As, part of the, as part of the whole story. And it's peculiar because my dad is from the Valley. Okay. From Southern Texas. And, you know, he played football in high school and, you know, he went to the army and he was about to go fight the Korean War. And he was like on the ship towards Korea when the war ended. Wow. <laughs> so he came back. And so we, we're one of those, I'm, I'm a second generation Mexican. Yeah. But I'm also a first generation Mexican because my mom is from Oaxaca. Got it. From the, and Oaxaca's in the south, south of Mexico. It's a very... Um, uh, native part of Mexico. It's like the dark Mexico, you know, like yeah. my mom's first language was not Spanish. You know, so you can get an idea of how, uh, how direct our connection to the, to the pre pre Spaniard world we, we come from in Oaxaca. Yeah. And so I was born in Mexico city, but with two parents that were from polar opposite sides of Mexico, you know, if you, if you think Texas, yeah. you, you, you want to look at Texas as maybe Northern Mexico somewhat, you know, at least when it comes to that, to the Mexican population, or you know, or 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 southern 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 Texas, if you will. Yeah. But it's the same region, and so they're they're um, as we as we go and and I own salsa limon for right. all those people out there listening that yeah have no idea salsa limon is a I call it a neighborhood taqueria. Yeah. It's a Mexican great Mexican neighborhood taqueria where what we try to do is is serve soul food to every neighborhood that might need it need Mexican soul food. That's, that's the, that's the broad idea. Yeah. And so whenever we think about, when we think about my upbringing coming from Oaxaca, I was a very, I was raised in a very much farm to table environment every day. Every, and not only that, but the quality of the ingredients are from a very peculiar part of the country with very peculiar grass, very peculiar water. And so, you know, it's kind of like what happens with Italian or Spanish food that that is just the the origin, mm -hmm. the conditions in which the product is made, 
elevates the quality of the product and makes it unique. And so, and so coming from a Oaxacan, from a Oaxacan culinary universe, we were raised eating cheese from a family that made cheese for my great grandfather. Mm-hmm. And now the great grandson was making cheese for us. And they would come and in their cart and say, you know, how much cheese today? And you would be literally eating a cheese that was just made. Yeah. When that was appropriate, they they aged them. Then they would say, well, how many cheeses? And Oaxaca is, is like the France of Mexico for cheese. And we have so much cheeses, like dark, you know, dark cheeses, dried chili cheeses, young cheeses, stringy cheese. I mean, just crazy. And so that's that's kind of like, kind of ruins you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Even when you think about Mexican food, right. even in that category, yeah. there's not all Mexican food is the same. That's right. And so that was a big component to it, being raised in that environment. And then also going to the northern, te- going to Texas, coming to Texas and and having that barbacoa and flour tortillas. I mean, you're you're from the border. Oh, yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about, like uh, barbacoa and flour tortillas and and just this whole, the, the, the pinto bean refried, that soul. That's when I talk about soul food is that kind of like that manteca, that lardy awesomeness that. Oh, yeah. That makes Mexican food so great. And so I have a very broad perspective yep. of what awesome Mexican food is. And so, uh, and so, but that's how it started, you know, just b- b- coming from a fantastic home table. And this is a really quick, funny, funny story, because what, what happened was as a kid, I was exposed to uh, two, I was, I was probably, yeah, I would say two concepts, two restaurants that my, my parents would take me to. And one of them was after the Karate Kid came out. My parents got me into Taekwondo because I was being bullied in school, right? <laughs> and so, and so part of the part of the uh, reward was after going to the to you know get my butt kicked at Taekwondo for an hour, they would take me to eat street tacos. Yeah. And this little taqueria didn't even have a name. Yeah. They knew it by, by the street, the street on Eleventh Street, the, the taqueria on Eleventh Street. That's how it was known. But the guys were from, were from Mexico City, and they would do the whole the whole cow head. And so you would have tacos made of eyeball, of cow cheek, of tongue, mm. of lips, of everything. <laughs> you know? And they were incredible. And they would run out. You know, if you didn't show up, if you showed up late, yeah, I'm talking about late nine, yeah. they would only have what they call surtido, which means the mixture of everything that we have left over. So if you really wanted to get like your, you would you would be standing in line getting there early. So you have that whole that's that that taqueria, that little taco stand changed my life. That's awesome. It was the place to go when I went back home. I would that's one of the first places I would go 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 see the people and have the tacos. And the other one was this um outdoor steak place. Yeah, it's called it was called Las Pampas. They would bring their meat from Argentina. And they had like it's the Argentinian cuts, which I don't know if you guys know, but man, Argentinian steaks are amazing, world class. Oh yeah. And so, uh, and so they would. They, so this was the other one. Is that would just get there and you could smell since it's outside. There was no vents. You could just smell the 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 asada, since when you were parking your car and you would know exactly where you're gonna get. And it was magical. And so yeah. And so then I you know I I, I had that as as a kid, and then my life started. You know, I went to, I went to high school and. I, I left the country for that, and um, and then and eventually ended it in college, right? Yeah. And so when I got to college, I majored, I double majored in art and in business, and my focus was entrepreneurship. But you know, one of the things about it is like, you know, I would get to, I got to Dallas, and 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 I would say, look, I want to go get some tacos, man. Yeah. I, I need some tacos. There should be some plenty of options, and I went to every taqueria in Dallas. Every Taco one Bell, of Del Taco, yeah, no, Taco Cabana, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, and I was just like, God, I just, I just can't find it. I mean, and when I found some a place that was más o menos kind of good, yeah, there was something horrible yeah. that would just say I'll never come back here again. <laughs> you know, uh, if it was service or if it was like just the the bathroom was a disaster. I was like, God, I just, I just, I just, you know, I'd rather just not come here. Yeah. Or the food trucks. I mean, you, you, they look so quaint, but then they'll always just disappoint. And I would be like, God, I just don't, I don't know why I eat twenty of those tacos. I, you know, it's yeah. not a good idea. I'd never come back. <laughs> And then I went to entrepreneurship class. When I, and I don't know if you know, you know, you're in entrepreneurship world. This is kind of a famous class uh, at SMU by a guy, by a professor named uh, uh, Jerry White. Okay. He he was you know, like the guy from Tom's was in that class. Okay. You know? So it's kind of like a class that's produced pretty fantastic entrepreneurs. Yeah. So I took that class and, and they go through it and they say, okay, there's a few ways 
there's a few ways for you to decide. Because the first question is, what are you going to work on? What is it? What is you have a full semester? We're going to develop a business plan. You're gonna you're gonna do it. And so you you need to choose. The first first few classes was selecting your your horse, your brand, or your 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 the, the topic. And and they said, well, if your parents did it. Maybe you should do it because you're going to inherit all this knowledge. And so they have all these different you know kind of like ways to figure out what you want to do. But the last one was, if you look at the marketplace and you can identify something that is not being provided or that is not, or is that a, a substandard product, then that might be something you do. And I was like, dude, that's Salsa Limon. Yep. And I named it Salsa Limon. And the concept was, I just want to bring in classic Mexican tacos for the world to experience what I experienced when I was a kid. Yep. Just like that. That's it. And I want to do it in a really clean. I mean, this is where Starbucks was starting to come along. So I was like, "Oh man, that 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 that's that's exactly right." Because co- great coffee has been around for a while. Yeah. But it's just great coffee available to everybody who hasn't been around for a while, hadn't been around for a while, and in that environment and all that stuff. So that's that's kind of like what my 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 concept was at the time. But I wasn't, you know, honestly, I'd never worked in a restaurant before. Yeah. You know, and I just said, "What what what kind of authority do I have to just go on and start doing this?" So I I, I got myself a job. At the uh, first Eatsies, okay, that had just opened, and so Eatsies is a Phil Romano concept. I don't yeah. know if you, you know he's a very successful entrepreneur, oh, yeah. and restaurateur. And so Phil Romano, he had spent I don't know like six months in Italy and Europe with his crew, and they put together Eatsies, the concept of Eatsies, which is honestly I consider to be the precursor to Central Market's half of Central Market, which is that chef case where you're eating chef crafted foods to eat at home. Eatsies did this way before they did. And so ETs had this incredible general manager. They had recruited the best because they wanted to do an IPO. And their plans was to go take ETs to, you know, dominating the country. And so they had a really good executive team to lead that. And and so I got there and I'm like, I go interview with the general manager, Dan Simons, who is a very famous restaurateur today. And, and he's based out of Washington, D.C. He owns a, a place called Founding Farmers. Mm-hmm. And so then they're incredibly successful. And he consults and he's just an insane restaurateur. And I go sit down with Dan and I go, Dan, look, man. Well, sir, at the time. Yeah. Uh, I'm writing this entrepreneurship class. And I know nothing about restaurants. And I want to do a taqueria called Salsa Limon. And I want to work my hands to the bone for you. I'll do whatever I need to do. And he's like, you're hired. Done. On the spot. And so that got me into, you know, interfacing with the real systems yeah, and the real work that goes with producing food at a day level. I mean, production, food production, restaurants are incredibly difficult because you are, you're going through the whole, the whole circle. You're doing purchasing, you're preparing, you're cooking, you have a recipe, you're following it, you're, and then you're also retailing it. Yeah. And you're making sure that every customer is having a great experience. So it's really, it really is the Mount Everest of uh, of business. Yeah. And you're doing it all. Yeah. And so, uh, and I was like, oh man, that's, <laughs> when I finished, I, and I, and I, that, I'm telling you, dude, those months, those months were the hardest months of my college, of my educational career. I love it. I was like, I almost broke. I mean, I, I didn't, I couldn't drop the class. It was an elevated. It was out. I was the, at the end of my of my business, of my my business stint, and so I was like, I can't quit, and I just gotta, I just gotta work through the problems. I gotta, I can't, I can't, I just have to produce a performa based on whatever, yeah. <laughs> and just bite up. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to be laughing so much so early in the in the podcast, but. Uh, but yeah, so then that 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 was the uh, that was the thing. I just got like a, I got like a you know kind of a C. That was like your MBA, basically. I, I mean, honestly, it, it it at least got me understanding. It's because the entrepreneur the entrepreneurship class they did take the whole thing through. You know, coming up with a concept and then, you know, working the financials and then uh, putting together the marketing plan and putting together the exit plan and they forced you. They, yeah. they grabbed your the hair from you know from behind your head and made you face. The whole gamut, the whole the whole gauntlet of being an entrepreneur. So I got through that, and I was like, God, I'm glad I got through that. But and then I, I got to the end of my college career, and I had to face myself and say, Okay, what am I going to do next? I got all this education, you know, I'm I'm hot to trot, and and my answer was, I want to I want to uh, I want to take I want to destroy Univision. 
<laughs> a little switch. Yeah. I want to. I want to change. I want to change the media consumption. I want to change the media outlet, the media product that the Mexican viewer has in the U.S. I want to change the way that. I mean, it's just like imagine that, and you only had one channel. Yeah. As as general market as a white population, you only had one channel, and in prime time they only showed soap operas. Right. Imagine that. How would you? I mean, you, you would head would explode. Yep. And talk about seeing an opportunity. Uh, then that's why I said, okay, that's, that's, I mean, I can do that or I can go deal with restaurants, which yeah. I already know firsthand the level of work that goes into that. Yeah. And so uh, I opted for the, uh, for going out and trying to take, you know, create a, a media product. Okay. That was my, that was my goal. And so to do that, I mean, my, my, the close, the best thing the what I, I figured out that I could start on as my career was advertising because, it, you know, there still has some business in it and there's storytelling. And that's kind of where I thought that maybe I could start getting some, getting some experience. And so that's what I decided to do. And I went, started off as a media planner and I, my client was Frito-Lay and I was very good at that, you know, because like, they're like, okay, look, Frito-Lay has, I don't know, $20 million budget. Yeah. For media, for Hispanic, and the thing is, the Hispanic market was my my area of expertise, and um, because I'm, a, you know, obviously Hispanic, I I got it, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly, and not not just because of, of the way the the Mexican community that how they how we behave here in the U.S. Yeah, I also have the immigrant experience actually, right? Because I love when the Mexican national team plays, and you know, and and, and so I get it, I get both worlds. I, I have a, a true bicultural. Uh, upbringing. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I was, I was doing that and I, I, I was very good at it and, and was very comfortable, but I was very unhappy. It was just not what I, I didn't come to do that. And so then, um, eventually I, um, I got a job as a writer. They, there was just another opening in another agency and, and they're like, look, you know, we will, we'll, we'll hire you, but we only can hire you as a writer. That's the position. And I go, well, <laughs> it so happens that that's the position I want. And I became a writer for an ad agency. And my, our client was McDonald's and man, I started writing and my, my perspective was, um, my, my, my idea, my, 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 and which it still is one of my secrets is to show the consumer consuming full on. Okay. So when it came to Mexicans eating McDonald's, there was a real, there was a real disconnect in advertising. And I think there's still some of it now that. Even if you wanted to get, even if you were going to make a Mexican or, or, or Hispanic or, Me or Latino communication, that would be more geared towards white people. It would be white Latinos right. being the protagonists. And I said, no, no, no. We're going to do brown protagonism right. in my right. Yeah. And they loved it. And that's right. That's just when McDonald's switched from going, being smile yeah. to I'm loving it. And I'm loving it. The brand components of that. Are a little bit more urban, a little bit more real, and so they our, our strategies combined. I mean, my, I, the the big, <laughs> the big McDonald's people and I were kind of speaking the same language. Yeah. So the agency people said, "Look, man, you you have to come into the strategy team and tell everybody else, you know, what they're going to be writing and how we're going to be doing it." And I go, "Well, you know, I mean, I really like writing, yeah. you know, and so you know, you want me to go and 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 be a strategist? I can, but you know." You're gonna have to pay me, yeah. <laughs> and so that's when I started getting paid. Yeah, and and I was a strategist, and like my, my, I mean, and I was there was really not a lot. I got a little bit of training in terms of how to create brands and and you know what makes things work in terms of um, of strategy and and products. But some of the real stuff that was some of the real beautiful things that I got to do was to travel all over the country and 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 be in focus groups and just listen to people talk about McDonald's, especially Mexican people talk about McDonald's. And all the problems that McDonald's has, like, you know, bland or not enough spicy components, you know, just a few things that they would have that we would hear the consumer saying, I was like, you know, Sausalino would not have any of these fucking problems. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if we could drop F-bombs. Like, yeah, we can. Okay, good. So it wouldn't have any of these issues at all. It would not. And so I rewrote the, I rewrote my business plan. Yeah. <laughs> this is years, this is like six years later. Yeah. I rewrote it. And I pitched it to, now we're going to have some friends in common, yep. Brady Wood. Okay. I pitched it to Brady because he was working with some people. And he and where he, were you living at the time? I, in Dallas. Okay. And and Brady Brady had owned some restaurants in Deep Ellum, and he, he, we, we had some friends in common. And so I was like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show it to Brady and see what he says. So but then the, but there was another little problem that 
I was recruited by an agency in, a, in, in LA to be a writer. They were, it's a headhunter. And there was an agency in Miami that was about to lose the General Motors pro, uh, client. Yeah. Imagine you have an agency where General Motors is yeah. your client that you lose them. Yeah. They like hit the red button and they went and they recruited me to come write for them for, on, the general, on the General Motors product. No? And then they had other, other brands, but that, that was really the move was to me to have someone like me go and, and help shape that communication. And so I told the people, you know, but the people at McDonald's, say, listen, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be a writer. And they're going to, they're gonna, they, they ended up like paying me more than I made as a, as a strategist. Mm-hmm. And I had like an awesome setup. I love <laughs> and it. I had, I could do whatever the hell I wanted. So it was really sweet. Yeah. And I was in Miami and it was awesome. And so, and I needed that. I had been in Texas for a while and I just getting out of, getting out of town, getting out of Texas, going back to the coast. I'm coastal. I'm from a Oaxacan coast. So I, the ocean is very yeah. powerful. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It just does something to your soul on a daily basis. I pitched the Salsa Limon, the 2.0 version and, and they loved it. You know, Brady and, and, and I, I think there's a couple other guys that there said like, man, this is really great. It's going to work now. And it had demographic, psychographic, the reason why this is going to work at a at a higher level, right. not not necessarily a brand or a store design, nothing. It's just as an idea. Yep. It's like if we had pizza, yep. right? And I said, look, we'll, you know, there's nowhere else in the world that there was pizza in this in this in this example. And we are eating a pizza, and we're like, holy cow, this is incredible. Yeah, this this piece of of dough with cheese and and, and tomato is incredible. We could sell this all over the world. Yeah, and it would be a hit. And, and that is honestly where I sit with salsa limon with tacos. I really fully believe that tacos have the same universal appeal that pizza does. Yeah. It does. And I can take it to China or anywhere in the world. The exact same thing that you can go eat right here across the street from uh, in the River District and have it. Yeah. And it would work anywhere in the world. So that's at, at the strategic level, that's the idea. Also yeah. now get from there to executing it. It takes a little bit, a little bit, more, uh, a little bit more work. But Brady and I saw eye to eye on this. We said, man, this is going to work. But then I said, I want to take this opportunity. I went to Miami. It was incredible. So what and was then, the point? And, and then, well, because, well, because I wanted to get, I'm sorry, ask your question. I'm I, more just saying, what what was the, the tipping point uh, where you said, all right, I've been in Miami working. Now it's time. I mean, I was at the time before, even when I went to Miami, I knew that that was a real opportunity. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 fulfilling the potential of this of this strategy was a real opportunity. But I told Brady. I mean, there's a lot of other components. I I just came here. I I found this map that is incredible, and if we follow it, we should hit gold. Yeah. And Brady's like, I really like that. But it took some time for for the idea to reach the right ears. Yeah. Or or find its way through through life. You know. Uh, and I honestly, I I was I was very happy. I was very happy in the. Uh, I was getting closer to my my life goal of of media production, yeah. And so I wasn't, uh, but I, but I knew that that was a real opportunity. So I get a call from Brady, like you know, a year later. He's like, "Look, I was in a lunch with Andrew Siegel with Andrew Siegel, yeah. And Andrew, you know, he he wants to talk to you, and and so Andrew came down to Miami, and and we we sat down, and and we just <laughs> it was pretty amazing, and we just had this great like maybe two hour conversation of strategy. Yeah, and demographic change. That really demographic people movement is really the generator of should be the generator of most strategies. Yeah, people shifts right, yeah. right. And so and so we talked and talked about it. We also talked about the Mexican consumer and how um, and how it's underserved and how we could probably get something going. And he said, "Look, well, you know, I'm gonna I'll loan you the money for the first house limon, but you have to go open it." in the mall I just purchased in Fort Worth. Yep. And I I was super happy. But I was like, God damn, I get a chance to own my own design, my brand. Imagine that. Yeah. I've been working on other people's brands, telling people how to fix their brands. You yeah. know? And I was like, I want to see if it's true. So how long from that meeting that you quit your job and moved to Fort Worth and started it? What was the time between that? That probably first took me from the first meeting to getting to Fort Worth. And Andrew was like, man, he would call me every day. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you, that's that's like when you think about entrepreneurs. Got to be persistent. You got to age. If you want it, 
You got to do it until you get it. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no letting up on 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 something that's important. And I, I can see like also how how this was interesting for for the Grand Plaza to bring someone like me over and and attempt to pre- create something unique, right? Have quality with this, with these with these philosophies. Now, so so yeah, it probably took us around I don't know maybe six months. Yeah, because I was look, I mean, I was in the middle of shooting a campaign for Silverado in Chile. I mean. Ritz Carlton. I mean, you have, I mean, think about film production yeah. at its highest level. And that's where we were. I mean, the director came from this, uh, with the best general, uh, uh, Mercedes Benz director. That, and then they just like slow motion and just incredible film production. And that's when he's like, you gotta come over here. They're like, can I just please finish? Yeah. <laughs> can I finish editing this in Los Angeles? For, I'm going to be in Los Angeles for two months. Yeah. Just staying at... <laughs> like the nicest boutique hotel and, and living the film life. But no, but, but I was like, you know what? Let's go. I'm going to do it. I, and I came to the, he said, come over and see it. And I saw it. I walked into the Grand Plaza and I was like, I loved it. But yeah. I mean, it, it might not be the best place to open your first location. Right. In hindsight. Yeah. But anyway, we did it and um, and it worked, man. It just it just picked up right away. The, the And it's like people would say, I mean, my mom, everyone, a lot of people told me, Mila, what are you doing? Yeah, you're you're accomplished writer. You're 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 doing great. They're probably going to offer you a partnership in this new agency. They can't, you know, they you should hang on. And I was like, you know what? I want to go try to make a brand. Yeah, I want to go. This is a big. This is a big deal. And 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 the the stuff I'll learn from this is 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 insane. Oh yeah. And not only that, but the confidence that that you know it's a challenge that I gave myself that I was able to 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 execute to accomplish was was very important to me. It was like part of of my development as man. So we don't have to go into like great detail, but if I just said like, what are the things that you did right when planning to start a restaurant? And maybe if somebody's listening, that's thinking about starting a restaurant, like what are the the things you did right? And maybe a couple of the mistakes that you made early on that, you know, if you were to go create your next brand and restaurant, you would know to do. Is there anything that comes to mind that well, things that we did right. I think that um, I think that having a very clear idea of of that product that you, you know, the, the the initial question on, on entrepreneurship, you have to have a very good argument to put into the marketplace. Right, has to be really good. So you have to have, and I mean, I'll I'll be honest. I put together the the recipes and 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 the and the and the processes in Fort Worth. Yep, I, I'd never even thought of them before the bridge was in front of me. Right. Now I have to come up with a menu and, and, you know, and so I, I would say the things that we did right is, is that we were fearless. Yep. That we, we had enough confidence in our abilities to figure it out. Whatever walked into the room, whatever walked in, you know, I think it was also, it was also very important that I was, you know, and, and this is just, I mean, this is a skill or I don't know how you call it, but to surround myself by good people. Oh Yeah. Whenever I started selecting like my 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 taqueros and I was just I, mean, I just I just knew what they had to do somehow it yeah. just needed me so so following those instincts that if you feel like it's not right it's better to let them go right <laughs> than to make something work just because it's comfortable or so I think it's being true to the concept I think that that was one of the right things that we did some of the wrong things that we did we got very lucky because the story goes on yeah you know it's, it's that's where we started but it goes on. And it's really about locations. Locations you have to you have to think positive about where you, especially if you're opening a new a new restaurant. I mean, if I was to advise someone today, I would I would spend a lot of time making sure that the location was right. I would also I would also uh, warn them of 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 taking too much debt early on. Yep. It's it's it can be. I mean, it was. And th- okay, now at the same time, this is something that really that really formed me. Yeah. Because there was no way back. Right. There was no return. I mean, I owed someone half a million dollars. Right. And I was in the Grand Plaza yeah. holding a bill of, of, of debt of six, of half a million dollars. And yeah. it's going to get paid. Yeah. Well, you know, I just had to. And it was a weekly bill. It was really hard. But, I mean, I guess it has both ways. You have to make sure that you have the capital. You have the resources to do it. Yeah. But, uh, and also give yourself all the chances to win. Another one is keep it simple. Especially as you're starting, if you've done other restaurants before, then yeah, you can have twenty guacamoles if you want to. Yeah. But if you're the first one, let's start off with one really, really good guac. So two questions that kind of come to mind are: the first is what 
makes a great restaurant location? I guess, again, it's it's dependent upon your demographic and who you're going after. But if somebody's out looking for their first restaurant and they're trying to make sure it's the right location, are there generic kind of rules that they should follow? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you, I'll start off with the first one is the most important thing to me is vehicular traffic. This is a traditional restaurant. Right. Vehicular traffic, people driving by, high high traffic count is important. And that's why when you look at where the restaurants are, you, so this this concept of there's, you can go a little bit deeper and identifying with people that are doing it right. Right. If you look at a McDonald's, <laughs> look at a McDonald's, sorry to bring McDonald's back up, but they're on, off a highway, right? Yep. Where how much traffic, how much vehicular traffic is on a highway? The, the highest yep. in any DMA, in any des- designated market area. Yep. Highest. And then they are on the egress, so you can sometimes even see them from the highway. So it's visibility is another one. Right. So high vehicular track count, visibility. I mean, this one, this one is not that important because Papados has proved it wrong. But ingress, egress. How do I get in? How do I get out? Right. Papados broke that because they have that. They followed these two other things with uh, with the position here they have in Fort Worth that's off of thirty, which is highly visible and high traffic count, but it's impossible to get there. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you need to go around like ten times to get there the first time, and then you go, and then yeah. you know. So they broke that rule, but they're, but they're, you know, you, you've seen their parking lot; it's always full. Yeah. But, but to me, that's important: how to get in, how to get out. Sometimes that because that that shows a little bit of convenience. And if you think about it, convenience continues to be one of the driving forces of, and it depends what kind of restaurant you're going to open. If a quick service, or if it's going to be a, a sit down, well, you know, that might be different. But in, in the case of of Salsita, and this scenario, we're we're talking about a quick service. So quick ingress, ingress, egress yep. is important. Yep. It's because ingress, egress also sh- should translate itself to the ultimate drive-through. Yep. Drive-through, 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 drive-through. It's yeah. I'm sorry, your listeners probably think I'm crazy, but it's it's absolutely true. You are crazy. It it, it depends on if you are. <laughs> thank you. Uh, if you are a uh, hey, you don't sing country music badly either, <laughs> my friend. Uh, but if you, yeah, if you do this, if you do this, you know, ingress, egress, signage, parking, and then the cherry on the pie, second generation. Yeah. Because that's where, that's where that big first one, which is don't take on too much debt. Yeah. You know, you're building someone, especially if it's a landlord, you're building, you're putting in half a million on somebody else's property. Right. You know, and, and that's, it's just, it's, it doesn't work. It's gone. Yeah. And, and you have this massive debt and it's, it's, it honestly can knock you out. So I would add to all those other things. The, uh, the ability to find a second generation build out is is ideal. The second thing is you had the luxury of one growing up in your demographic. You are your demographic in a lot of ways. You got to work at McDonald's and GM focused on that demographic. So you really entered the game with this unbelievable understanding of who your target customer was. If somebody's uh, starting a restaurant and they don't have the luxury of maybe one, they're not necessarily their own demographic or, you know, they didn't have all these jobs. What's like another way that people can really get fine-tuned with who their customer is? You know, I've, I've listened to tons of podcasts about people that start restaurants and sometimes like the chicken salad chick lady, she was just making chicken salad out of her kitchen. People loved it. And that's how she figured out what people wanted. How do people know who their target customer should be? I mean, I mean, especially when it comes to food. I mean, to me, everybody is the target customer. I mean, honestly. So you have to be, it almost has to go from, you You can't really please everybody. So you have to please yourself. And if you please yourself, you're going to please everybody. Yeah. That's kind of, it's kind of funny how that works. But that you want to have, when you understand your target market, I mean, obviously, please get into a business, open a restaurant that you're, that you're very well versed in the food. Right. That even though if you're not if you're not making it, but that you can identify hey, this is really really good ceviche. Yeah, this is the best. I mean, let me tell you why. Yeah. Versus, you know, is this well, good ceviche? Can somebody tell me? Do you like the ceviche? How about you? Do you like the ceviche? No, no, no. Hey, you don't. They don't need to know. They, they, I want to tell them. Yeah. That's why they're coming to my place because I have a very strong perspective on on ceviche or whatever whatever right. it is. You know, I mean, and I, and I ask it because I feel like sometimes you see these it's, these restaurants pop up. I think like there was one down on West Seventh that was like a New Orleans crawfish grill, mm-hmm. or there was one that was like this Irish pub that used to be where uh, on West Seventh on the corner that had a you know 
a huge Irish buffet that people mm. would eat for lunch. <laughs> and it, you drive by and I don't need to know a whole lot to drive by and go like, there is no way in hell <laughs> that there is enough people in this city to regularly go back and eat like New Orleans crawfish grill right. to keep them sustainable. So I always wonder like, man, they, ju they just put a million dollars into the space. They created this whole thing. And it's so obvious that like there's nobody there for that. You know, I mean, it's true. It's exactly, you're exactly right. And so I, I get, I get the thrust of your question now. Um, as how, you know, when you determine the, the 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 type of food you do, is there is there a, is to understand your customer? Is there a, is there a customer appeal for what you're trying to do? Right. Like we open an Ethiopian restaurant. No disrespect for the Ethiopian restaurants. I right. love them, but it just doesn't have a very massive appeal. Right. It just doesn't. Even if people go and do it, they're just not gonna. They're not gonna go in there and order an Ethiopian dish to go. It's just not gonna happen. So I think I think you also have to be really, really honest with with the food type you choose. And and you know, just if we take a few steps back and we look at the at the uh, at at the at the development or the the maturing of 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 the general American general market palate. You know, I think spicy is important. You're seeing more and more spicy chicken places coming up or spicy, spicy, spicy something coming up yep. in every single thing. So the, the, the general market palate is getting spicier. So if for some reason, if you decide to choose up food, think about it being spicy. Yeah. <laughs> think about it being spicy and you're probably going to have a little bit. So spicy biscuits. Oh, okay. That sounds, or, or, or spicy, you know, I don't know, spicy fried chicken, a spicy pizza. I mean, there can be spicy to it. So I, I, I think that just understanding how the, how the market has evolved uh, today, also when choosing a when choosing a restaurant opportunity, you have to consider costs. Yeah, it's it's just it's just such a big it's such a big thing. And and whenever you're starting a restaurant or you have a dream about a restaurant, that's one of the last things you think about. But it's it's actually very important. And I, and I know we've talked about food costs before. Yeah, I was going to ask you this question. You said some, you showed me you did like a pie chart. This was probably ten years ago, and you were helping me learn the food industry. <laughs> what I was coping yeah. with my realities. <laughs> I was coming in to just uh, soothe you, um, but you said uh, it was something along the lines of there's meat, there's bread, and there's cheese. And if you think of a pizza, it's like all bread, very little meat, cheese. That's why it's very cheap, great margins. And then you think of a steakhouse, it's all meat, very little bread, very... And so maybe just describe what that whole thing so, means. Yeah, so this is, and this is like, this is something that I realized like, Two years, a year and a half, two years into opening Salsalino. I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. I'm supposed to be breaking in money. Yeah. You know, what What the hell is going on? And so I started diving, uh, diving deeper into it. Okay, so every restaurant, every single one of them, the number one most important thing on their, on their, on their cost of goods is going to be protein. Yeah. Meats. All of them. Subway. You tell me. Which restaurant? Yeah. And it's meats. Okay. All of them. That's the most expensive. The most expensive item. The most expensive line item. Okay. It's always going to be like that. In our case, especially with our steak, I mean, we sell quality. Yeah. So it, it's like it's like our steak cost is the same as all our other protein put together. Okay. Because that's just look how much time it takes to grow a cow. Right. Years. How much money? Hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars. Right. And then to process it, and then to spice it, and then to you know, oh, just an insane. So that's a big one. Okay. Protein. Okay. okay. The next one is going to be cheese okay. or dairy products. All cheese, you know, it's just going to be expensive. And then from there, you have all the fillers, if you will. I'm going to put those. Um, I have my fingers doing quotes right now. And what? so what is it? Dough, bread, rice, noodles. This is all very inexpensive. Yep. Right? Yep. So that's the least expensive. So when you think about a taco, <laughs> if you think about a taco, it has... 60% meat. Yep. And like 10% tortilla. Yeah. And the and 5%, you know, cilantro onion. The basic model, profitability model for a taco is not the same, like, for example, a pizza, which in a pizza, you're going to sell this pizza for, you know, 12 bucks, 15 bucks. And it has like two ounces of salami. Yeah. Because it's thinly sliced and then spread around. So it looks like a lot of meat. But you're mainly eating the cheapest thing, which is dough, right? Sauce, 20% cheese, 10% protein. Think yeah. about that. So and then so that's what I'm talking about. Is you're thinking you design a restaurant, keep that in mind. Yep. Because the only thing, and then this is the other thing, is the only direction for costs is proteins will continue to get more expensive. There's no question about that. Yep. You don't have to have an MBA from Harvard to know that. Yep. 
So that was something I learned along. So if you think of tacos, and that's and that's the truth, is that we need to raise the cost of tacos. Right now, the the the, the way the way we process Mexican food and tacos, but Mexican food is a little bit different because then if you if you do get into a into like a Tex-Mex situation, then you have twenty five percent beans, twenty five percent rice, maybe thirty percent protein, and then a little bit of veggies. So that a Tex-Mex model is very good. Yep, because it has but tacos not necessarily. As you sit down and you dream about your restaurant, you know, just keep in mind, uh, unless hey, unless you're going to be, you know, Del Frisco's or you yeah. know, some someone like that that's going to charge you fifty bucks for your for your for your steak, you can give everything else away. You're making plenty of money on on protein. So uh, the other thing that you had told me, and um, you know, you talked about earlier, just it's you're not just cooking, you're you're buying, you're servicing people, you're taking care of the restaurant, making sure it's clean. Uh, you told me that you have a process for your employees to follow. I think it was four things. Right. What, right. what are so, those? And did so, you develop it? Or? Yeah, well, no, well, there's some industry and then there's some tweaks, right? Yeah. And then and restaurant management and 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 successful restaurants have been along, around for a very long time. So it's always good. It's not another good thing. Another good piece of advice is as you go out there and you develop your restaurant, watch what's successful. Yeah. <laughs> Look, pay attention. And, and, and some of it is this, that there's a whole, the whole notion in quick service restaurants is it's kind of like what happens with McDonald's. McDonald's McDonald's kind of revolutionized quick service many years ago because of systems and because of simplicity and because of, of basic uh, they were able to simplify the touchstones of of an experience to very few summarize them in a very succinct and 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 almost directional ways. It's not a, it was not a massive catalog or, or, or training manual, it's a concept. Yep. You can have a manual, oh, you got to clean the table and you got to clean the computer and you got to clean the thing. But you can say everything has to be spotless. Yep. So that's, they developed this whole thing called QSC, quality, service, and cleanliness. And it's become, it's common knowledge. I mean, there's QSC everywhere. You read it and there's books and there's, and, there's, and, and McDonald's did, did it and then Burger King did it. And then every other, every other follower of that category lives in the QSC world, quality, service, and cleanliness. Now, I've added one more, okay. which is ambiance. Okay. QSCA is, my, is the Milo way or the Salsita way. Okay. You have to focus on A. The place has to be impeccable. And so then, so when you take those concepts and then you apply, I call mercado mentality. Market, mercado, when I say mercado mentality, I'm talking about like common sense mentality that you would that you would have to have if you were in a market in Mexico or in China, right? Um, 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 open air market where it's just like makes sense. This is this is reasonable. It, it, you don't have to have you don't have to be you know very well educated. But so cleanliness is one of them. Service is the other. Yeah. Especially you think about it in like in the market, and then I don't know if you've traveled to like markets in in, in Mexico or in, in Asia, mm-hmm. where you go to a a massive building, a massive warehouse, and you have stalls, right? Yeah. And so, and, and and the whole warehouse is broken up by little, little regions. So you have the regions where you buy ropes and saddles, mm-hmm. and then you have another region where you buy fish. You have another region where you buy flowers. And you have another. So you have people next to someone else selling the exact same thing you're selling. Yeah. So so the market mentality, these other components have to click in right. for them to prefer you because they're selling the same thing. So what what can how can you differentiate from someone else if you're selling the same product with service right with being cleaner than them by just being nicer than them and by even now by having better ambience than them so you can be selling the same product but if you have all these other components then you have you have made yourself you have given yourself the most weaponry the most resources to win the race yep. in the long term I mean kind of dovetailing off that which I think maybe the answer is what we just talked about but what separates or what makes the best restaurant tours and operators in the country, what makes them great? Is it a combination of factors or is it the fact? Well, I think, I think there's another, obviously this is not the, the QSEA and or we have a system called 349 or I guess 449 now. As we added, I added ambiance like, you know, like six months ago. 
449 is then how you translate. You go from concept to execution, mm-hmm. right? So have I explained to you guys 449? Maybe that's what you would explain to me. If I explain to you 449, we've had many conversations, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember all let's, of them. Let's but. hear it again. 449, 449 is obviously, you know, we start off with the four pillars of success, which are cleanliness, quality, service, ambiance. Okay. And we talk about it. And we talk about, for example, ambiance. You know, ambiance. Ambiance is like, look at that. Yeah. Look how the ambiance just changed in a, we just turned the lights off. Yep. And it's just like, we just have the glow of the screens. And so just that one little thing, or here, here's another example of ambiance. You want to create a romantic ambiance. Turn all the lights off and turn on a candle. Yep. And boom, you're there. And it's just, and it's so it's, but something that you need to, you need to address. And and then you have cleanliness service. So then that that's the thing. That, that Those are the four, this the four, the four, cornerstones pillars of of a successful operation and okay. and and if you go to salsa limon and you talk to an employee they, they you should be able to they should be able to talk about that intelligently not because they read the manual but because they understand the concept right and then they can articulate that in their own words okay right yep. check four so that's first four now let's go let's go to the next four the next four are the laws of operation okay okay so in the laws of operation the first thing you need to do is you have to make sure that everything the client touches is clean it's clean customer you might get busy and maybe some other places are not as clean as they should be but with a client touches must be impeccable has to be the doorknob the parking lot the table where you pull the napkins yep everything okay clean clean customer number one number two is zero orders you can't you can't be waiting the customer should not be waiting ever they might be in a hurry they might be they're, they're used to getting you know you don't you walk into some places and they're they're they the employees see you and yeah nothing happens <laughs> you're like one of you go go do what you do I gotta go mm-hmm. you know and so that's the second one is 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 zero orders and notice how I'm doing two words right per category because it has to be simple yep then three if there's no orders, if the, cl- the place is clean and there's no orders to make, then you have to go to number three, which is clean your station. Clean it up. Get it ready. Yep. Because it's all, it's the, the product is better when there's that French concept, mise en place. You know, everything in order. Yep. Clean. The customer sees it. It's engaging. It's awesome. And, and, and it's better. The product comes out better. And then finally, the fourth one is everything else. So the first three things are done. Yeah. Then you can go break boxes or chop cilantro. Or, but I would get to salsa limon for what happens. Is, sometimes it still happens. So yeah. you have to always keep on on sharpening that edge. You know, people people just they just forget, and it's just we're humans, and 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 that's what happens. You have to be constantly it's like a coach. Yep. You know, or or like losing weight. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be constantly working on those things. And so everything else, um, you know, I would walk into a salsa limon, and they would have like they would be chopping cilantro, and there's five tables that are dirty. And I'm like. And I couldn't get upset with them because they're working, right? Yeah. They're, doing, they're yeah. doing their job. And so then that's where putting things in priority, prioritizing things yep. at, a, at an operational level. And that's so this is this are just this is like the basic training for us. And then finally, nine, which are our nine stations. Okay. And okay, here's where it gets a little bit more comp, a little bit more, more, more uh more nuanced, is that you know, we have we have broken up the make the the the, the operation into nine stations. And, you know, so we have, you know, I mean, do you want me to tell you the stations? If you can do it quick. Yeah. Well, you know, you have, you have the cash, cash register. Yeah. You know, you have the uh, hot table where the taco begins and then the, the, the or the griddle and then the hot table where you, all the fillings are and the cold table where the finishing product is. And then you have uh, the, the number one station is basics, which is basic cleaning. Yeah. So you have to know how to clean everything. You need to know how to, where to go, get the spritz for the, for the sanitizer, for the COVID where the brooms are and all that, all that stuff. So it's basics, cashier, griddle, hot table, cold table. Now we have a bar. Yep. Right. Yep. And we have a we're developing a tortilla station. Mm-hmm. And then we have my favorite one of all, the leadership station, the person leading the the mission. Yep. And they have to be trained and they have to know, you know, and then, and then here you get into a little bit more details, just more specific checklists and and things. And then, you know, we're developing tools that make that more easy. 
right? right. We're, we're, I think technology, technology, the leap in technology has not totally, fully permeated all the all the business categories. Yeah, and 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 so I think in the restaurant world, that's kind of where there's a lot of stuff, and there, every day something new comes on, and you can't really adopt them all. But finding tech to make that nine and that leadership position successful is uh, is probably the key to success. And so most most restaurants probably have like a 449 type of system for them. And that's why they're able to grow to 20 locations. And each, if you went to all 20, it would feel very similar. And right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, not most restaurants. I mean, if you I don't know if we saw a pie chart of how many restaurants are, you know, owned by small business people that don't that have less than three locations. They probably make up the vast majority of the restaurants. And then there are the multi-units, so all multi-units, mm-hmm. you know, Jack in the Box and all the locations that all the units that have been able to go beyond three locations probably have a very sophisticated system like this, like the like the, our, our 449. But most mom and pop restaurants don't. And that's why it's so hard. It's hard for them to keep keep their head above water and, and not only that, but also execute their, their business. Right. For a long time, they just get tired, and because yeah. it, it is tiring, it's incredibly tiring. Maybe this is a loaded question, but from somebody not in the restaurant industry, you know, I sometimes hear that you know restaurants serve food for break even, and they make all their money selling drinks, like iced tea for two bucks. Is that is that kind of true, or is it nuanced to the different types of restaurants there are? I mean, I think I guess that I guess the truer statement is that uh, high uh, high beverage sales make the business a lot easier to manage, especially if it's alcoholic sales. Right. And that, that and with quick service is very, very difficult to have high alco- al- alcoholic sales because it's not really like, oh, let's go to Chipotle and get loaded. Yeah. You know, you're like, no. <laughs> you might show up to Chipotle loaded, but you, you might not be getting there to get loaded. But, right. But you see what I'm saying? Like, so, so even if you go to Chipotle, you're going to say, you know what, give us another round of margaritas. Yeah, yeah. You'll never hear that. Yeah. I mean, you will hear that in Salsa Limon, though, and that's where we're, we're working that through ambiance. Right. We're, we're, we have some stratagems to to increase our alcohol sales because, yeah, although, and, and you look at quick service, um, out, beverages do make make life a lot easier when it comes to making money. And then I've always, I always think about this, and I had Travis Heim on the podcast uh, like a year ago, and I asked him, but, you know, you go to a great restaurant and I go, I go work for you as a chef. And I learn all of your recipes. How do you keep like your recipes proprietary, or do you even worry that you know some chef might quit and go start the next salsa limon with your recipes? And I, I actually had this conversation with Andrew, and Andrew is like, "Dude, post the recipes, post them." Yeah, because most people won't do it anyway. It's incredibly hard to do. Yeah, they will, they will, they will, they will try, and and they will fail. Yeah, and the ones that do make it will fail in one of the other thousand things that will make you fail. Yeah, and the other thing, if it comes from a place like that where it's like there's theft and there's like bad, bad karma. Yeah, it's likely, very likely to fail. Yeah, I mean there there is some there's 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 some truth to a good moral compass in business that you know if you just start you know being uh, uncool, it just comes back and 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 you know you got to pay. So, I'm gonna ask a. Uh, a hot button question um, because you have been a, as resilient as anybody, but we're, we're living right now through a, uh, through a pandemic. The restaurant industry has been hit extremely hard. I know probably service. Yeah. Service industry, hotels, bars. Can you maybe just give us a little peek behind the curtain of what it's been like to own seven restaurants through a pandemic and what y'all did right. And, you know, kind of sure the play by play. Yeah, we found out, and whenever whenever it happened, it was very scary. Yep. And a lot of, we. Get, it's funny because a lot of people, a lot of a, a lot of uh, a lot of colleagues were, they came up with their hands up yep. immediately. They're like, "Okay, we're closing. That's it. We're done. We're closing." And I'm like, "Look, hold on. Let's front. Let's let's work through the problem." That was the first thing that that I would say is that whenever a crisis hits you. Just <laughs> breathe a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes the best, especially when it's really radical, a radical thing, mm-hmm. is it's give yourself a little bit of time to react to that. 
pay attention to what other things that are happening. And so that, that what we did is we we obviously, you know, we took it very seriously. Everybody was like, our employees were very scared. And, yeah. and we said, look, you guys, this is, you know, this is, we're going to get through this. We're going to figure it out. And that's, that's what happens is we've gone through very stressful situations before that we figure a way through it so that I was able to keep a little bit of courage, yeah. some of courage through it. So that helped a lot. Uh, the other thing is that whenever this hit us, and this is, goes back to the restaurant selection, the, the model we chose, a quick service model, behaved a lot different than, let's say, a, a fine sit-down, you know, Grace or, or you know, Del Frisco's or something like that, which yeah. was even, you know, it was even, uh, it was it was a little bit, I, I, I would imagine that would be a little bit more daunting. For us, people, you know, we were able to, we had, we had developed an app of like five months before that hit us. So we had an app to go to yep. and we developed, we developed a system for true no contact uh, pickups. We, you know, we turned on all our lights for delivery and we just, we just found, we just decided to, we were convinced we know even now. It's one of the things we knew that people were still out there and they were still hungry and they were still craving Mexican food. It's not like they were just like, they disappeared. Right. They're there. And so we just that we we just we just turned around and said, okay, how can we how can we make them feel like we're we can you can still come pick up some some you know capitanes from salsa limon without risking too much, and then finding other ways to get to them. That I think was the was the key is that our model allowed us, us to not totally shut down yeah. and go into what other restaurants were going through, which is just crickets. And how do you feel just like, what's your, maybe your trust level right now of the government? Because it's almost like restaurateurs and people in the service industry have been hung out to dry. It's like, Hey, you can open, but maybe in three weeks we'll shut you down again. And well, you know, I mean, if you're in LA right now, your yeah, restaurant's yeah, shut down again yeah. after nine months. Well, of I mean, I think that, I think that, I mean, how I feel about the government right now is yeah. I feel like they have left us out to dry. Yeah. And it has, it, it was just, it was just the whole, this whole situation was not, was not managed correctly. Yeah. Because people, look, people have, people are willing to, people are willing, how do they say, it's better to be hard at the beginning and soft at the end than soft at the beginning and hard at the end. Yeah. When you do, when it's like, for example, raising children, right? Yeah. If you give them everything at the beginning, whenever they become, you know, teenagers and they're used to getting everything because baby wants it, it's going to be very hard for you to change that kid's mentality. Yeah. And the same thing. Point. And and we are like kids. The population, we are like children. So if you come to us and you give us wishy-washy direction, then we're going to say, oh, they don't know. Then we know better than mom and dad know. Yeah. And that's where we are right now. We're like, we know better than these guys. We just, I mean, they're, they're, they just fumbled the ball. Whereas if we would have taken a more, hey, we're the United States of America. We're, you know, we are, we're going to do this and this is it. And if you don't like it, we're going to come get you. And we're going to find out why you don't want to do it. And you're going to get, and you're going to do it because that's, because we've done it before. We did it with, with seatbelts, for example. This, this real change in behavior and, and the opportunity here is that it was just not, it was not, we, we did not, God, just, we, we didn't, we, we didn't follow our usual protocols. This is, America has been kicking, kicking ass for a long time. Yeah. We did it in you know, World War II. Hey, you're not going to be building homes like you used to. We're going to derail the new technology so that we can you know, send steel to the front. Yep. And we did it. And we learned and they even improved our systems because through this sacrifice, through working together as a society and listening to each other and trusting the things that we've developed, science, science for crying out loud, science, dude. Science has always been one of America's competitive advantages. Yep. We just develop a tool for everything. I mean, you, and you see it in carpentry. They have a tool for everything, man. Right. <laughs> they have a laser that will square and a thing, CNC machine that will make it perfect. And, and so that's the thing is by not fully staying true to education and, 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 and tech and, and the American spirit and, and, just squandering the those first few months, and it's—I mean—and you have, we all—I mean—we don't even know the the ramifications because look, and, and you know this in business as well, a mistake at the highest level, it's going to be painful. Mm -hmm. The business will suffer. You will lose employees. You will lose customers. You will lose profitability. You will lose the. You might lose your business. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very hard. And so, so that's where good leadership comes in. Good leadership 
Seize the issues before they hit you. The bridges are built before you need them to be built. And also, you know, understanding that we are, as a society, as a, as a country, we've been very successful doing a lot of things. Yep. And it's just because we follow the same thing. At some point, the rules are going to come down and yep. we're going to get the German in us and we're just going to do, yep. do it right. You know, yeah. we're not going to throw trash. We're not going to do this. And, and so the, the, that, that is, that I think that that's where as restaurateurs today, I think the government and I think the, uh, the, the, the people making decisions is, is to protect our economy, honestly. And to protect the economy, we need to focus on having a middle class and maybe all the population go into this kind of like, you know, timeout. The ball is went over the fence. Mm-hmm. So there's the, the game has to start for stop for two seconds. Yeah. Let's go get the ball. And then let's come back and play the, the game again when the ball comes back. So the ball is over the fence right now. And so we all have to just come to terms with like, we have a very good thing here. Yeah, We have a great country. We have a great economy. There's everything is here, but we can't expect it to work as business as usual because it's not business as usual. Right. And so the more, the sooner we come to terms with that and that we double down on protecting the economy, there should be stimulus for every single person in the country. Is there any stimulus? Uh, I know there's like, we can talk about PPP and all that stuff, but is there anything that you're seeing that's going to be just for like the service industry well, or restaurants? Yeah, well, we, we have, I mean, and I'm, and I'm so glad and, and, and thankful that we are in Fort Worth. They were able to do, there was a program that was told, was, was, uh, was brought to me by the Hispanic Chamber which is called Save the Save the Fort. There's people out there, economists, people that are studying yeah. and know that, look, these, these businesses, which make our life, the quality of life so good for us and, and keep our economy going, keep our people employed and keep the system flowing, it has to get water. It has to be watered. And so yeah. they were able to help us. Now, honestly, I don't know how much more help we were going to get. And, yeah. that, and that, not only that, but I'm very lucky that when this hit us, I already had an organization where I have a CFO that can fill out all the applications and knows, and, and we've been organizing so we can get financials and we can get, yeah. we can, we can, we can play the business game, man, a, a young restaurateur, if, they, if this would have hit me when, you know, when I first opened, I would be done. So to, to me, the true responsible thing to do here is to help the economy through this difficult time. Yep. All right, one more kind of business question and then we'll we'll wrap it up with some personal ones. But, you know, everything now is, you know, Uber Eats or DoorDash or Favor. Mm-hmm. The, the food delivery mm-hmm. world is here it's and it's not going it's anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Does that help your business? Does it well, cut into it, your no, margins? No, I hate it. I hate, you I hate, hate it? I hate DoorDash and, 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 and it's Uber. It's funny, most restaurant tours say that when I ask. And them. Uber, no, I, no, it's absolutely the worst. It, it, it is Why? Because, because it's an algorithm. They're providing an algorithm. They're providing a computer system. It's not, I mean, our margins are already tight. Right. To go and tell the customer, you're going to pay more and us, you're also going to pay us and we're just going to be sitting here. But it's not, it's not, it's not cool. Yeah. It's not right. And it, and honestly, it's not going to work in the long run. And, and I'll tell you, like some of the things we're doing is we want to develop and we're in the middle of developing Salsita Delivers. You know, I'm, 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 I'm doing it. And, and I want to find, once we have our system figured out, I want to create what I call localdelivery.com where it's just local restaurant tours and we're just going to all pitch in and give the driver a better deal. The only this is why because DoorDash and Uber Eats nobody gets a good deal. The only good deal is Uber Eats. They're getting a good deal. Everyone else the restaurant tour we have to pay and 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 the customer has to pay a lot more. I mean, I don't, have you ordered Uber Eats? You order a pizza that's like $50. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, insane. I know. I've ordered salsa limon on favor. I it's it costs more to get it to my house than it costs for what I bought. The food itself. So my question then would be, why do you participate? Well, be, well, I mean, we, we're participating right now because we need to. We need we 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 need to find ways to keep, even though we're not as we, every favor or 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 DoorDash meal that we sell doesn't give us the full profitability that we get if we were selling directly. It gets a transaction in us, so we're, yeah. we're it's kind of like better to have a little transaction than have no transaction at all, because the product moves because the the the, the pipes are still flowing. But I'll to believe you me. Um, we're I'm taking steps to independent independence independ become independent of that. Do most of your peers feel the same way? Yes. Yeah. Yes. What's your favorite restaurant in the world, or maybe in America, besides Salsa? Wow, my favorite restaurant in America. Wow. 
Well, I mean, I'll tell you, one of my favorite restaurants here in the, in the DFW area is a place called Jiangqi. Okay. It's a, it's a Chinese dumpling okay. place in Richardson. Okay. <laughs> they make it from scratch. It is insane. Like my favorite is a lobster and pork wet dumpling. Yeah. Have you ever had those? No. They're like, it's like a little bag, a little, a little bag of pasta, yeah. a little pasta bag, and it has the, the juice inside. So it's like a little water balloon. Very hot water balloon with some uh, with some sh- with lobster and pork in it, and so you take this thing, and they, they come in these steam things. You pick it out, you poke it, and you put some rice vinegar and ginger in it, and then some chili chili sauce. I'm telling you, dude, I I I have broken up <laughs> with girlfriends <laughs> that don't like that place because <laughs> there's nothing that's gonna stop me from going. Tweet at this place, and so it's uh, it's I would say Jiangxi right now is probably the answer to that question. We just bought a building up in Richardson, so I'll have to to check that out. What's the best advice you've ever received, either personal or business? Wow, the best advice. Oof. I think the best advice in business, I guess, would be keep it simple, and it just keeps on keeps on giving, <laughs> providing a, a wisdom and 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 just simplicity is is super important. If you owned a billboard on the busiest highway in America and you could put anything on it for the people that pass by to see, what would you put on that billboard? I mean, I would, I mean, I would, as a, as a copywriter, yeah. I would want to wordsmith this, but I think that the, the, the comp, the concept would be a kind society is the best society we can have. Yep. We have to be kind to each other. And that's why like we think about our grandparents and our parents and this decorum that we used to have and formality and, and etiquette and and consideration to one another, it made life so good. And that where, versus where we started eroding those things, and it becomes just mean and classless. It just it 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 makes for violence and hate. But I think kindness is probably the most urgent message. But there's another message, which is the my my my, my overarching. You can have two billboards. We'll Thank give you, you two. So much. We'll give you Thank two. You so much. Pass the kindness, then, and then the next we'll see is, this. yeah. So kindness, a kind society would be the first one. And the next one would be is is recognize that you're a part of the macro organism. You're not. You're not. It's not just you. And 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 Jesus didn't give you all this for you. You know. Yeah. That's not it, man. We're all in it you know, together. Yeah. Look, even the dolphins and the hummingbirds and the wind and the trees. And the water and every fucking thing has a right yeah. to thrive. And as soon as we start changing and then start recognizing that we're not the dog, we're a flea on the dog. Okay. And that's what's so a very humbling thing to say, but it's very liberating as well. I love it. How can people reach you or find Salsa Limon? Well, salsalimon.com okay. is uh, probably a good start. If they want to reach me, uh, my Instagram is milo17ramirez. Okay. Or just be our friends at Salsa Limon. You know, just, I mean, I, I read everything. I love it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, get in, t- get in contact with me and let me know what you think. I met Milo, he was my junior year, my sophomore year, so 14 years ago at his food truck. And we have remained uh, great friends for the last 14 years. And uh, really appreciate you showing up today to do this with me. It means a lot. Chris, man, you've, you've been a blessing since the day I met you. I appreciate it, man. You're a very fine man. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.